is God's word for us here today? This morning we're going to look at this incredible moment from the life of Jesus as recorded in Mark's gospel that I think has so much to offer to us as disciples. Our eighth graders who are going through confirmation right now are reading the gospel of Mark in their small groups with their mentors. And this was one of the stories that many of them read together this past week. But before we dive in, just a really quick word about the Gospel of Mark. Mark's Gospel is all about this intense drama, this immediacy. Um, Unlike Matthew and Luke, we hear nothing in Mark's Gospel about the birth or the childhood of Jesus. Mark just plunges right into Jesus' active, dynamic adult ministry right from the first chapter. The first two chapters are just this whirlwind of baptism and temptation in the desert and uh, healings and teachings and, and exorcisms even. In chapter 3, we are told that such a great multitude had begun to follow this Jesus that he told his disciples to have a boat ready over by the lake, over by the shore, so that the crowds would not crush him. Then in chapter 4, Jesus calms this great storm at sea, and we learn that the disciples were amazed. And that's a word that we hear a lot in Mark's gospel, how amazed the disciples were. And then early in chapter 5, Jesus heals a man who had been driven literally out of his mind by a legion of demons. And it's so intense. Jesus sends these demons into a herd of swine who then jump off of a cliff. And again, it says that everyone was amazed. If you were to read the Gospel of Mark from beginning to end, you, you'll find that Mark writes in such a way as to make the reader a part of this crowd, one of this crowd that is following this Messiah Jesus to things that just keep getting more and more amazing. And so it's with this growing sense of amazement that we come to our scripture this morning from chapter 5, verses uh, 21 through 34. Let's look at it together as I read from the screen. When Jesus had crossed again in the boat to the other side, a great crowd gathered around him, and he was by the sea. Then one of the leaders of the synagogue named Jairus came, and when he saw him, fell at his feet and begged him repeatedly, My little daughter is at the point of death. Come and lay your hands on her, so that she may be made well and live. And so he went with him, and a large crowd followed him and pressed in on him. Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for 12 years. She had endured much under many physicians and had spent all that she had. She was no better, but rather grew worse. She had heard about Jesus and came up behind him in the crowd and touched his clothes. For she said, if I but touch his clothes, I will be made well. 
Immediately, her hemorrhage stopped. And she felt in her body that she was healed of her disease. Immediately aware that power had gone forth from him, Jesus turned about in the crowd and said, Who touched my clothes? And his disciples said to him, We see the crowd pressing in on you. How can you say, Who touched me? He looked around to see who had done it. But the woman, knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him and told him the whole truth. He said to her, Daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. This is the word of the Lord. So what do we read here? We find that the next person to appear on this dramatic stage that Mark has set is Jairus, who is a leader of the local synagogue. He begs Jesus to come home to his young daughter, who is dying. What we have to know to appreciate this, and what the context is, is that the religious leadership had already taken a position on this Jesus calling him a false messiah. That means it's Jairus' job to keep the crowds away from Jesus, to not make a big deal about this Jesus. If Jairus ever had any ambition of leaving the small country synagogue in Galilee and, and moving to the tall steeples of Jerusalem, the last thing that he should be doing is inviting this Jesus and these crowds to his home for a healing service. But I guess when your baby girl is dying, you do not think much about career moves. Every time the little girl holds out her arms and cries out in pain, we can only imagine what that does to Jairus. He will do anything to make her better. And so will our Savior who heads to their home. And so it looks like this is the next amazing thing that the crowd was waiting to see. Jesus is about to win over the entire religious establishment by healing the daughter of the leader of the synagogue. But then the drama is interrupted. The next line of the narrative states, Now there was a woman who had been suffering from hemorrhages for twelve The story seems out of place. Jesus is on the move. He's about to do the next amazing thing. The crowds are with him. He's just received an invitation from the biggest cheese in town. But an ordinary woman who is sick with a chronic illness interrupts it all. Mark tells us she had endured under many physicians and had spent all that she had, yet she was no better but rather grew worse. Now, those of you who might be in the medical community will prefer to read the story as it's told in Luke's gospel. Luke is a doctor, by the way. Luke omits the part about suffering under many physicians and only growing worse. But Mark wants to make it clear that this woman has suffered and spent all of her resources. She has done everything 
that she can do. She is at the end of her rope. She is now out of money, out of expert advice, out of hope. And the hemorrhage pain continues. I believe that Mark inserts this narrative into the middle of this larger story about Jairus because I think Mark is more interested in the people in the crowd than the next big amazing event. He puts up a magnifying glass in this story up to the crowd and and focuses our attention on just this one chronically sick, nameless woman who it turns out could be any one of us. I think he does that because every one of us is the hemorrhaging woman in one way or another. And Mark invites us to see ourselves in the story at this pivotal moment. Maybe you are also struggling with a disease or an ailment that just will not go away. You have exhausted your patience, maybe your savings as well. Maybe you're not exactly dying, but it doesn't quite feel like you are truly living. Other, others of us might be bleeding, hemorrhaging from broken hearts, broken relationships, dreams that have been torn apart. Still others might have a, a chronic, ongoing problem with, with guilt or shame, anxiety about the future. We've tried everything we know how to do. We've tried ignoring our problems, bucking up, pretending that it doesn't hurt. We've tried the experts. We've tried running away from our hurts into hard work or anything else that will numb the pain. But eventually we start to think that we will always have this problem because just like the woman, we are no better but are only growing worse. And so then we hear about this Jesus who is able to do amazing things. And so we join the crowd at church on a Sunday morning. As Mark tells the story, most of us in the crowd are just pushing our way to try to get as close to Jesus as possible. We're pushing. We, most of us have already set our goals for our life. We're just here to see if Jesus can help. Maybe he will fix my problems. Maybe he'll give me back my dreams. Yeah, I'll take a little Jesus. What can it hurt? But the woman does not just push her way, does not just grab at Jesus. In her humility, she was afraid to even be seen, to be noticed by him. So she just reaches out her hand and touches the hem of his robe as he walks by. And immediately she was healed. All of a sudden, Jesus stops the parade. He looks at his disciples and he asks, who touched me? His disciples think he has to be kidding. Who touched you? Half of Jerusalem is trying to get their hands on you. And you want to know who touched you? Clearly, the disciples' concern was for Jesus to get going, to get moving to Jairus' house. Because this was going to be the big deal for the movement. 
Similarly, like those crowds, we keep pushing Jesus along according to our own agenda. Jesus, you need to fix Afghanistan. Jesus, you need to fix Richmond. Jesus, you need to fix this problem. You need to fix our mother-in-law. I am sure... (laughs) Sorry. (laughs) I am sure Jairus was thinking that the big deal... Jairus was thinking that the big deal was his daughter at home. Jesus, he may have wanted to say, this woman is not on your schedule today. Tell her to make an appointment. Hurry, my daughter. Jesus never hurries. Have you ever noticed that? In all four of the Gospels, not once is Jesus ever said to be running. Jesus doesn't even jog. Now, this drives us crazy because we are always hustling and bustling from one thing to the next, following our schedules. The real question, I think, for those of us who want to be followers of Jesus is is not how fast can we go, but it's this. Are we as incorruptible as Jesus is? Are we as incorruptible as Jesus is? The ruler of the synagogue, the people in the crowd, even Jairus, will have to wait. Jesus will eventually, if we read on, get to uh, Jairus' home, and he will heal his daughter. But first, he interrupts his own agenda. We are told next that the woman, not knowing what had happened to her, came in fear and trembling, fell down before him, and told him the whole truth. What a poignant moment this is. How long has it been since you had someone to whom you could tell the whole truth? The whole truth is not just that we were hurt, but that we have hurt a lot of people trying to fix our hurts. The whole truth is not just that we have made a few mistakes, But like this woman, we are spent, and we are tired of trying to grab at only what Jesus can give us. And best of all, the whole truth is that if you are ready to say these things, then you might be ready to reach out and touch the robe of the Master, our Savior Jesus, who wants to be interrupted by you. Daughter, your faith has made you well, Jesus says. Go in peace and be healed of your disease. And so Mark was right. Jesus' many miracles and crowd-drawing ministry were leading up to a spectacular event. But that amazing event was not what was about to happen at Jairus' house. Once Jesus gets there, he throws the whole crowd out and he heals the little girl in private. No, the big, amazing event was when Jesus stopped everything and was interrupted to care for the nameless and broken woman along his way. Once we are able to see ourselves in this story, to discover ourselves, once we see that Jesus stops, pauses, is willing to be interrupted to encounter us, to save our chronically broken lives. 
changes how we see everything else. Even if we don't receive what we want, encountering the holy God who stops to look at us, to be with us, that's what heals our soul. That's what leaves us as tender, compassionate people. So tender that we then will notice when someone from our hemorrhaging world tries to reach out and touch us. If we were to follow Jesus, if we were to try and follow Jesus in leading an interruptible life, who might we find is reaching out, looking for connection? We might be so surprised. I'm going to close with this. I think there are three ways, three key ways that we can cultivate the kind of interruptibility that Jesus models for us in this text. Three key ways. Number one, we need to let go. We need to let go of our need to meet everyone's expectations all the time. We need to let go of our need to please. If Jesus' only focus was to not let down or not disappoint those around him, he would not have stopped to have this encounter with this woman who so desperately needed this healing moment. When we are able to let go, surrender, raise the white flag, admit that we cannot do it all, that we cannot be everything to everyone, we find that we are then free to live a life of gratitude, a life of openness to the world, to those around us. Number one, let go. Number two, get over yourself. Get over yourself. Jesus, more than anything else, Jesus was not self-absorbed. When the focus of our lives shifts from me, 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 to a focus on aligning our heart with God's heart, we find that our thoughts, our desires, our dreams, our ambitions are transformed. And we are no longer just a passive consumer of religion, but rather we are a conduit of grace conduit of grace that flows from God's heart through our hearts and reaches the lost, the hurting, the broken, the nameless, the forgotten. But to do this, we have to acknowledge that our lives are not our own, that they belong to God, that the self cannot be the center, but that Jesus must be the center. Number one, we have to let go. Number two, we have to get over ourselves. And number three, we have to tune in. We will not be open to holy interruptions, to moments of grace, if we are not tuned in and connected to God, if we are not actively growing in our relationship with God. We are tuned in when we are actively engaging in Christian practices that nourish and sustain us. Just like an antenna that has to be finely tuned to pick up the signal, so we must be attuned to God's heart to make ready our own hearts for God's purposes to be carried out in our lives. 
how do we tune in? We tune in when we practice the Sabbath, when we join a small group, when we worship, when we study and meditate on Scripture. We tune in when we pray, when we practice solitude, when we fast, when we go on spiritual retreats, when we journal, when we tithe sacrificially, when we listen to Christian music, when we read books on faith and practice. Following Jesus and living lives that reflect the way of Jesus involves an active and intentional commitment of our time and attention that attunes us to God and allows us to see the world and to see one another as God does. There are no shortcuts to an interruptible life, a life that reflects and embodies God's heart to a world that is hemorrhaging. I invite you now, we're going to take a moment in silence. I invite you to reflect on these three keys to an interruptible life. Which is the one you want to focus on this week? In this silent moment, I want you to reflect on what it might look like in your life to live this way this coming week. And then take a moment and pray, asking for God's help and God's direction for the steps you might take. In a moment, silent too busy. You were never too frazzled, too narrowly focused to stop, to pause, to turn toward each of us to encounter us in our need, in the reality of our lives. Lord, you teach us it looks like to follow God's heart in caring for this world and people who are hurting. Lord, we ask for your grace, for your mercy. We ask for your help in living the kind of life where we can see others through your heart where we can be interruptible, where we can respond with compassion just as you have responded to us. We give you thanks for your work.